Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Standing by, this is the conference operator. Welcome to Capital Power's third quarter 2021 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference call is being recorded today, October 27, 2021. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Randy Ma, the Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Good morning and thank you for joining us today to review Capital Power's third quarter 2021 results which we released earlier this morning. Our third quarter report and the presentation for this conference call are posted on our website at capitalpower.com. Joining me on the call are Brian Vajo, President and CEO, and Sandra Haskins, Senior Vice President, Finance, and CFO. We will start with opening comments and then open up the lines to take your questions. Before we start, I would like to remind everyone that certain statements about future events made on this call are forward-looking in nature and are based on certain assumptions and analysis made by the company. Actual results could differ materially from the company's expectations due to various risks and uncertainties associated with our business. Please refer to the cautionary statement on forward-looking information on slide two. In today's discussion, we will be referring to various non-GAAP financial measures as noted on slide three. These measures are not defined financial measures according to GAAP and do not have standardized meanings prescribed by GAAP and therefore are unlikely to be comparable to similar measures used by other enterprises. These measures are provided to complement the gap measures which are provided in the analysis of the company's results from management's perspective. Reconciliations of these non-gap financial measures to their nearest gap measures can be found in our third quarter 2021 MD&A. With that, I'll turn the call over to Brian Vajo for his remarks starting on slide four. Thanks, Randy, and good morning. I'll start off with the highlights of the third quarter and comment on our 2021 outlook. The third quarter results were generally in line with our expectations. The unplanned outage at the Genesee 2 facility will be longer than originally anticipated, with a return to service now expected at the end of November 2021. We continue to make progress on our seven renewable development projects that I'll comment on in greater detail later, but briefly, we're seeing cost pressures on our two Alberta solar projects. Also, the completion date for our three North Carolina projects have been extended due to delays in the interconnection process. With our strong financial position, performance, and our positive outlook, we are suspending our dividend reinvestment plan, or DRIP, effective with the fourth quarter 2021 dividend. In the second quarter, we provided higher 2021 financial guidance, largely driven by the positive Alberta power outlook. That outlook has not changed as the market continues to be robust. Despite the extended Genesee 2 outage, we continue to be on track to achieve annual financial results consistent with our revised higher guidance. Turning to slide five, as you may recall, Genesee 2 experienced a forced outage in mid-July that was caused by a generator failure and the physical damage is covered by insurance. The unit is undergoing repairs to replace the generator, and as I mentioned, it's expected to return to operation at the end of next month. 
We continue to utilize our Culver Bar speaking facility to backstop Genesee 2 when it's appropriate. The loss of revenue qualifies for business interruption insurance after 60 days, and Sandra will cover the accounting impacts of the Genesee 2 outage in her comments. I'll now turn the call over to Sandra. Thanks, Brian. I'll start with a review of the Alberta power market on slide six. We continue to see strong prices with an average power price of $100 per megawatt hour in the third quarter due to hot temperatures, facility outages, and year-over-year weather-adjusted demand growth of approximately 4% in the third quarter. The strong average power price more than doubled the average price of $44 per megawatt hour in the third quarter of 2020. In the third quarter, our trading desk captured an average realized price of $75 per megawatt hour that was 27% higher than the $59 per megawatt hour a year ago. The market outlook for the balance of this year continues to be strong with a $99 per megawatt hour forward price for the fourth quarter. With the strengthening of the forward prices, we have increased our hedge positions for 2022 to 2024 since the second quarter. Our Alberta baseload generation is now 67% hedged in 2022 at an average contract price in the mid $60 per megawatt hour range. For 2023, we're 38% hedged at a contract price in the mid $50 per megawatt hours. And for 2024, we're 21% hedged in the mid $50 per megawatt hour. This compares to current forward prices of $91 per megawatt hour for 2022, $73 for 2023, and $62 in 2024. In addition to the base load assets, we have approximately 500 megawatts of gas peaking and wind facilities available to capture upside from higher power prices and price volatility in 2022. On slide seven, I'll review our financial results for the third quarter. As Brian mentioned, financial results were in line with our expectations. Consolidated revenues and other income were 377 million in the third quarter down 17% from a year ago, largely due to unrealized changes in fair value of commodity derivatives and emission credits. Excluding the mark-to-market impacts, consolidated revenues and other income were up 7% due to strong performance from the Alberta commercial facilities. Adjusted EBITDA was $286 million in the third quarter, a slight increase of 1% compared to a year ago. We generated $206 million in AFFO that was 7% lower than a year ago. The decrease in AFFO was due to the lower AFFO contributions from the U.S. contracted facilities and higher sustaining CapEx due to maintenance work performed for the Genesee 2 outage that was originally scheduled for the fourth quarter. On slide 8, I'll discuss the accounting treatment of the Genesee 2 outage and associated insurance recovery. Approximately $25 million of capital costs were incurred in the third quarter, of which $23 million, net of $2 million deductible, was accrued to be recovered through insurance. The net recovery is reflected in the third quarter income statement in the gains on disposal and other transactions line, and not as an offset to the capital cost. In AFFO, we see the net impact of the $2 million deductible, while there is no impact to adjusted EBITDA. From an operational perspective, business interruption coverage is effective 60 days after the start of the outage, 
which would be as of mid-September. An accrual for business interruption was not recorded in the third quarter, primarily as the final amount of the claim, which will take into consideration mitigation across the portfolio, will not be fully known until the unit returns to service. Slide 9 shows our third quarter year-to-date performance. Adjusted EBITDA of $830 million was up 13% compared to $735 million for the same period in 2020. The main driver for the increase was higher Alberta power prices, where our realized power price was $75 per megawatt hour compared to $59 per megawatt hour a year ago. Lower corporate expenses also contributed to the higher adjusted EBITDA, mainly due to the acceleration of coal compensation revenue. AFFO was $456 million, up 5% compared to $436 million a year ago. Overall, we're seeing strong year-to-date performance in our key financial metrics. As Brian mentioned, we have suspended the drip due to our strong financial performance and outlook. We also accessed the capital markets this year, raising $288 million in equity and $150 million U.S. in debt that will fund later this month. These successful financings have reduced our financing risk and the need for additional equity for current growth projects. I'll now turn the call back over to Brian. Thanks, Sandra. Turning to slide 10, I'll review our performance for the first nine months of the year compared to 2021 targets. Year-to-date, the average facility availability was 90%. The extended Genesee 2 outage will impact our annual performance, and we expect to be below our 93% availability target at year-end. Sustaining CapEx was $99 million in the first nine months compared to the $80 million to $90 million annual target. We've exceeded the annual target largely due to the Genesee 2 outage and an unplanned rotor purchase at the Arlington facility during a planned outage in the second quarter, of which the latter will cause us to exceed our sustaining CapEx target for the full year. After nine months, we reported $830 million in adjusted EBITDA. Based on our current outlook, we expect full-year results to be in line with the midpoint of the revised guidance of approximately $1.1 billion. We generated $456 million of AFFO as, far, uh, as for this year and expect full-year results to be modestly above the midpoint of the revised guidance range of 570 to 620 million. On slide 11, I'll provide a status update on our growth projects. We continue to make progress on approximately 1.7 billion of growth projects under development. This includes developing and constructing seven renewable projects and the repowering of Genesee 1 and 2. Our Whitlaw Wind 2 and 3 projects in Alberta are on budget and on schedule for commercial operations later this year. The Strathmore and Enchant solar projects in Alberta are expecting, experiencing higher costs due to significant increase in transportation costs and higher costs from supply chain pressures. The revised project cost is estimated to be $57 million compared to $53 million budgeted for Strathmore Solar. While the project cost for Enchant Solar is now $119 million compared to the $102 million budget. We have three solar projects in North Carolina with an original commercial operations date of Q4 2022. 
However, due to delays in the interconnection process, commercial operation is now expected to be Q4 2023 or Q1 2024. Construction on the repowering of Genesee 1 and 2 commenced in the third quarter. There are no changes to the budget or target operations date of late 2023 for Genesee 1 and 2024 for Genesee 2. For our 500 million committed capital growth target, we continue to explore opportunities with a potential growth announcement later this year. To wrap up, I'll comment on other activities that we have going on as outlined on slide 12. COVID-19 continues to be well managed with no impact on our operations. Our plans to build the world's largest commercial scale production facility for carbon nanotubes at the Genesee Carbon Conversion Center continues to be on a slower development path. We continue to work through the regulatory registration of our carbon nanotubes necessary for commercial operation. For island generation, we continue to believe the facility is needed to ensure secure and reliable power supply for Vancouver Island and Metro Vancouver. We're currently negotiating on a medium-term agreement with BC Hydro before the current PPA expires in April of next year. Finally, the CCS pre-feed study is nearing completion and overall the project looks increasingly promising. We plan on providing more details on our decarbonization strategies at our investor day. I'll now turn the call back over to Randy. Okay, thanks, Brian. Before we take your questions, I would like to announce that we will be hosting our annual Investor Day event on the morning of December the 2nd. We're hoping to hold a live event in Toronto, but it will be a virtual event again this year. More details on the event will be announced shortly, and we hope that you're able to join us virtually on December the 2nd. All right, Sharice, we can start taking the questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. The first question comes from Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you and good morning. Um, my first question is on the repowering project. Um, just wanted to get some updated thoughts on this project. Obviously, you've, you would have heard that one of your peers opted to suspend their project, highlighting some of the potential regulatory and financial headwinds for new gas, including repowering. How would you characterize these risks and what plans do you have should these risks uh, materialize? So um, I guess may, maybe uh, going to uh, I guess the, the essence of your question, you know, when when we look at the our outlook in terms of uh, regulatory uh, stability and and in particular, you know, where the the point three seven stringency is going, you know, we've been reassured, you know, again by the Alberta government, as you know, from direction from the premier that. The 0.37 will hold. The province is very confident in their equivalency from uh, a federal perspective, and so don't really see that element uh, changing. Uh, in terms of the, you know, uh, our peers' decision to um, basically uh, 
suspend uh, moving forward with one project and uh, shutting down two other facilities. Um, would have to admit the shutting down of the other two facilities is actually a little bit in advance of what we thought when they'd actually be shut down. Um, and in terms of advancing on a, on a new facility, I think if you look back to when that uh, facility was announced, initially what's happened since is that there's been, you know, the, the, uh, and, and if you think of the, the stack in the Alberta market, it would have been, you know, the, um, one of the most efficient uh, natural gas combined cycles in the province. Since then, uh, Genesee wanted to repowering and, uh, you know, the, uh, the, you know, there's a, uh, been a, an, an additional announcement in Alberta, the Cascade project that, that's going ahead. So all of a sudden there's, you know, uh, 2,500 megawatts of capacity. Uh, much much more efficient uh, that that's been put in the queue. So that um, the uh, that project not going forward was not a surprise to us whatsoever. Um, didn't didn't believe that with those other results that it was uh, it would uh, be economic even with our outlook. So not a not a big surprise. Um, and again. You know, in the face of uh, constant reassurance from the uh, Alberta government that the 0.37 will hold, um, we're, uh, we continue to be positive. Now, the second part of your question is, you know, what happens if it changed, or what happens if if it if it uh, if there was a, um, a, a, a well a change in the 0.37? Um, we actually, in our projections for uh, the repowering of, of Genesee one and two. We actually have it after 2030 uh, declining. Um, at some point in time, you know, it, it will reach zero, and it's fully within our, our economics that over a, a reasonable period of time, post 2030, that it will get there. So, um, if, if at worst, it's a it's a timing difference. Um, the shorter term impact, of course, is that you know it will impact to a degree on power prices in the province, given the the, the dominance of, of uh, natural gas generation. Um, so, you know, it, the economics of Genesee one and two would continue to be very solid. Thanks, and maybe just to follow up to that, um, you, you cited a few cost pressures for some of your Alberta solar projects. Any, any pressures or similar pressures to the $997 million budget for this project? No. I mean, we are seeing uh, some very, very modest uh, cost pressures, uh, but nothing, nothing that is, is moving the needle on uh, the cost for the project. Thanks. And, and just a final question on guidance. Um, you've pointed to midpoint of EBITDA. Uh, on a guidance range, um, but you also highlighted that sustaining capex is slightly likely to be above your 80 to 90 million dollar range. Uh, so, despite this higher sustaining capex, AFFO is still expected to be not just at a midpoint, but modestly above that. What is causing this AFFO to go higher? So there's a few things on there. We are seeing lower uh, financing costs um, this year, so it's some of the below the, the line items, but just seeing um, strong performance in Al in Alberta, um, driving up the the uh, the cash flow. So there are some timing difference and some below the line items that uh, that impact that differential, if you will. 
Thank you very much. The next question comes from Patrick Kenny with National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Brian, just a, a follow-up on the Genesee investment. Uh, curious if there's any update on your carbon sequestration opportunity at the site, uh, when you might have more clarity on the level of government support, both provincially and federally, and I guess when you think you might be in a position to sanction the opportunity. So the um, where we are in respect of the uh, CCS opportunity is, you know, we we continue to be to be uh, pursuing it and and actually with increasing bullishness uh, uh, in terms of the uh, development process, uh, we're uh, close to finishing our, our pre-feed study and. Uh, results there have been, you know, uh, on balance positive, uh, slight increase in capital costs, but operating costs and and the uh, and the degree to which uh, it it needs power uh, is declining. So, um, you know, that's that on balance, uh, the economics of the project are improving. In, and so then, of course, we move to a, a feed study, which we expect to go through next year. And I would say the the earliest that we'd be sanctioning the project, and given, you know, uh, that we would require government support and, and clear indication of government support before we would get into, you know, uh, approving the project and, and moving forward, um, we would expect that to happen, you know, late next year or uh, early in, in 2023. And in terms of the government uh, activities, the Alberta government's moving forward um, on the hub concept and, and uh, looking at different parties to provide uh, carbon sequestration hubs. Um, and from what we've seen and the parties we've talked to, that's moving along quite well. Uh, the other front is with the federal government, and uh, discussions continue to go, from our perspective, well um, with uh, the Canadian uh, Infrastructure Bank and uh, the uh, the uh, bringing into play something like 45Q uh, before the election was uh, identified by the federal government as you know, something that they would be doing. And um, so uh, we uh, are looking forward to hearing uh, the next steps in terms of that development. Uh, they have been receiving, you know, comments from many parties as to what it should look like. And But uh, as we put all the pieces together, uh, we continue to believe that uh, CCS is uh, definitely uh, 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 economic uh, for capital power on uh, on the top of Genesee one and two. Great, thanks for that color. Um, and then maybe also on C two C and T, do you still expect to um, have board approval for the carbon conversion project by year end? And maybe just uh, an update on how the technology continues to prove out here since uh, the last update. So. Um, Given given the you know the the timing opportunities for board approval of that project, wouldn't see it happening before the end of this year. Um, in terms of the development of uh, the technology, it continues the the actual development of the technology continues to go very well. Um, the testing of the carbon nanotubes um, uh, as it relates to cement has been you know moving along you know albeit slowly you know, very much in a positive direction. I'd characterize it that we're, you know, 
three quarters or two thirds of the way there. The challenge that uh, we've run into, and I think I've commented on it before, is that there's actually a very long regulatory process to uh, to actually get uh, you know each and every carbon nanotube approved as a new material, which requires uh, in-depth uh, analysis and description of not only the process. But the but um, the mediums, for example, for distribution, you know, within a material, etc. So we have to be almost, you know, complete. Say, for example, with our cement exploration and development, and then at that point we start basically, you know, a minimum one-year process to get it approved. And we can clearly uh, build uh, a um, uh, Genesee carbon conversion uh, facility within that time frame. So. Um, you know, until we have it, the, the the precise project uh, product uh, nailed down, it just um, you know is creating a, a, a delay for us in, in building the carbon conversion center. So that's the the general outline of uh, what uh, what what we're looking at and, and where we expect to be going with the project. Got it. That that's helpful. Thanks, Brian. And then last one for me, if I could, uh, maybe for Sandra on the uh, suspension of the drip. Do you view this as being more of a sustained suspension in that, you know, even if you were to secure, say, the, the 500 million of, of committed capital projects um, for 2021 over the next couple months, um, you wouldn't need to turn the drip back on at that point? Or is this more of a temporary shutoff until you're able to secure a couple more developments? I view this more as a sustained turnoff of the drip at this, um, um, Pat. So, when you look at the capital that we raised, the equity we raised this year, as well as the contributions that we'll receive from the DRIP, it does um, equate to the amount of equity that we indicated we would need for the $1.7 billion of, of projects that are currently under development. So we've achieved that. Um, to the extent that we have growth, um, we're seeing strong cash flows, very strong credit metrics feel that we would be able to fund development. If there was an acquisition of, of any size, um, that would would need equity. We would probably uh, look to approach the the market with an offering for that. So go forward with a a bit of a, a a story with respect to it. So at this point in time, don't see the the need for incremental funding uh, or uh, in, incremental equity um, from that um, in that regard. So see it as being a sustained turnoff of the drip. Okay, that's great. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you. The next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, maybe just in terms of kind of your look for the gas market and how you're managing that exposure, you know, can you kind of just remind us where you are in terms of gas procurement and how you're viewing kind of the rise of uh, gas pricing in terms of your operations for uh, the rest of the year and into 2022? Yeah, for 2022, the balance of this year, 2022, and even out into 23 and, and well into 2024, we have a 
hedged a, a large portion of our gas or substantially all of our gas in, in the uh, near term, uh, seen a lot of vol- volatility as, as you've alluded to, and I've sort of taken that risk off the table by, by hedging, hedging that out materially. So looking at optimizing our, our fuel um, and the, the burn of coal as we optimize the mine plan as we wind down in 2023. So look to sort of uh, lock down those positions and, and close that exposure. All right, thanks for that. Um, and then kind of just more perspective in nature. So we're seeing some cost pressures, you know, um, in terms of the renewable power development projects. You know, when you're looking at that, you know, next phase of growth, whether it's that 500 million, um, how are you bidding into those projects just given the potential that you could see additional or sustained cost pressures? So, you know, as, as we look at, uh, you know, various projects, uh, that definitely weighs into it. You know, certainly the, the greatest cost pressure that, that, that exists today is on solar. Um, there isn't the same cost pressures associated with, uh, with uh, the, the, the wind business. Uh, there is some. But it's not a case, um, again, the, the, you know, solar production or production of solar panels and so on is largely Asian at this point in time. So it gets hit with both increasing commodity prices plus transportation costs, which are dramatically higher than they were previously. So, um, you know, as, as we approach projects and consider the, 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 the cycle time, um, do or are cautious on the solar side, and and uh, definitely consider the uh, where uh, the, the costs are going. But you know, I would say that you know, what we see going on today, uh, uh, we're starting to see the the curves going down. We're starting to see transportation costs uh, inching down. We're starting to see some of the commodity costs or the forwards. Uh, declining, so we are expecting this as a relatively short-term um, uh, excursion in, in pricing and, and transportation costs. So, you know, depending on how far out a project uh, procurement is, uh, can have an impact on uh, uh, definitely, you know, how cautious we are around uh, the, uh, the the bidding process. Excellent. Thank you. The next question comes from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Maybe just going back to the Genesee repowering, can you guys share anything in terms of how much of the costs have been locked in at this point? Um, you know, I can't. Uh, I'm just trying to... Uh, you know, I, uh, a number doesn't doesn't come to mind, but um, you know, we will be talking about it, you know, in depth at uh, Investor Day. So we'll be sure to comment on on that element at, uh, as well, unless you'd like us to follow up with a, a number. No, I'm just. I, I would assume at this point, some of the large lead items you've kind of locked in. You've already spent you know 100 million in the quarter. Is it, is it just Ongoing labor costs and balance the plant. I'm like, I'm just curious of where you would maybe still have some exposure to variable costs or things that are not fully priced in yet. Well, you, there'd still be uh, definitely some some material uh, being procured, um, but but definitely the the major elements have been procured, and 
and and um, the costs for those uh, have been uh, have been established. So um, don't see a lot of uh, forward cost pressures on uh, on those materials. Got it. And then coming back to the solar projects uh, in Alberta with the cost increases. Um, any comment in terms of you know obviously there'd be some return erosion. Know whether or not they're still meeting your hurdles and whether or not they become assets you think about a sell down strategy if you feel like the returns have been compromised a little bit so we always you know as we as we go through projects and, and consider projects we always have in mind you know the potential sell down strategy you know associated with them so um but when we look at those two projects uh we had uh in both of them uh, some headroom in terms of returns, of, you know, above our hurdle rates um, as they're developing now, and, and where we expect them to come in from a cost perspective, you know, they would be coming in, you know, uh, I'll say modestly below uh, our uh, our hurdles, but definitely above our uh, whack. So um, they're not, uh, there isn't any erosion or shareholder value associated with those projects as they sit today. Got it. That's helpful, Brian. And then one more on, on island generation, uh, just the commentary around the medium term, but also sort of highlighting, I think, in the MDNA about the, the book value that you carry to that and, and some of the, you know, the policy changes that BC Hydro is looking to in terms of phasing out gas-fired generation. Is, is the assumption sort of now you could get a sort of a three-, four-year contract, and at that point, island probably has to be decommissioned and taken offline? Is, is that what... You're trying to kind of outline to us today here. So, uh, you, you know, a lot of this depends on uh, obviously, you know, where the uh, BC uh, BC Hydro goes and and where uh, things go generally in respect of uh, power supply or, or capacity on Vancouver Island. We still are extremely uh, convinced, and there's nothing that has been brought forward or anything that would suggest that um, our position is is not correct in terms of the uh, needing uh, island generation to, to support uh, um, the uh, uh, capacity requirements uh, of Vancouver Island. You know, our, our, our view, and this is actually supported in the uh, in the, what's been produced by BC Hydro, they have no plans on increasing their capacity to the island or on the island until you know 2033. So you know that that longer term need is still there. So not much has changed uh, in terms of in terms of our perspective. The um, recent you know. Uh, indications from the BC government about, you know, phasing out natural gas and so on and so forth. Um, you know, that is, you know, that's, that's a, a position uh, open for comment. And, and we think just as, as we go through the uh, uh, resource plan of uh, BC Hydro, you know, it'll become clear and we're convinced that in the plans, they are expecting for there to be brownouts uh, in BC or you know, on Vancouver Island because they don't have capacity. And that's not good planning and, you know, that's not apparent to uh, the citizens on Vancouver Island. So, you know, we think, um, we think that, that our position of 
having ultimately a 10-year contract, although there, you know, there are different perspectives of the government that are coming out. We still think that, that good uh, planning uh, will ultimately prevail and there will be uh, a 10-year contract, even with the latest um, indication from the B.C. government in terms of you know, moving off natural gas uh, in terms of a, a power generation, that would that would provide for an eight-year contract. So, you know, we're still very optimistic on the back end, and certainly, you know, what we're seeing in terms of the uh, the lack of reliability associated with these undersea uh, lines, you know, I think is 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 becoming extremely evident and. One of the things that's, I guess, not well known is the work that BC Hydro is doing on the lines is not increasing the capacity at all. It's just in, uh, improving the reliability. So, again, um, the need for additional capacity or, or the capacity of island generation continues to be the same as it always has. That's helpful context, Brian. Maybe just one quick follow-up on that, then. If, if the view is that the IRP or the updated IRP or final IRP will be filed by then this year. At that point, would you be in a position, you think, to you know, come to the table and, and have an agreement? Or is, like, would be there be negotiations that would take this into mid-2022 before you'd actually have a resolution on island generation? Um, so in terms of the, the, the medium-term contract, you know, we, again, that ends up being a process of negotiation that will take you know, in, into uh, uh, may well take into next year. It, a lot of it just depends on um, how the negotiation goes, and um, you know, I, I would say you know the um, the discussions are, are positive, but they are infrequent right now. So again, we'll see um, how that how that develops. It's as you can appreciate. You know, we're we're ready to move and negotiate at at, at whatever pace. Uh, we're not setting that pace. Um, when it comes to if there if there's any further extension or uh, that won't be until the IRP is uh, approved or, or you know modified by the BCUC, which isn't expected until you know probably at least a year from now. So. That's where there there might be, um, uh, or that's where a further extension uh, to be negotiated would would commence happening. Got it. That's all I had. Thanks for taking my question. The next question comes from John Mould with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, maybe, maybe just starting with the the five hundred million dollar uh, target for committed growth. You know, we're we're ten months into the year, and I know you noted you could have an announcement uh, uh, before year end. You know, what has made it challenging to to I guess get closer to this target? Is it that you're holding really tight to your your return targets? Is that opportunities have been maybe more competitive than than you'd hoped? Have you seen some gas fire deals that might make sense that had some hesitation, you know, just given ESG considerations? You know, can you provide some color on on the growth target? So, John, uh, you know, we always sort of hold tight to you know our hurdle rates. You know, we don't um, um, end up 
because we're coming to the end of the year and and so on. We don't relax them. You know, I think as we've always said, you know, that's a target that's out there. You know, um, if we hit it, tremendous. Um, if we don't, that just means that we didn't see any opportunities that that were right for uh, for for capital power. And you know, and it's happened before where we have not hit the the five hundred million dollar target. And um, from our perspective, you know, that's fine. You know, in the longer term, you know, our average has been, you know, uh, $700 million a year, you know, having set the $500 million target. So, you know, it, it averages out in, in, in the longer, the last year was, you know, well over a billion dollars, uh, well, $1.7 billion almost in, in terms of achieving that $500 million target. So we're not fussed and we feel no pressure to actually we have to do something um now in terms of what we've seen um we've been in second rounds on both uh renewables and on uh and on uh, uh natural gas opportunities so you know the, the the market is there but certainly that traffic isn't um on the natural gas side there's there's been you know uh Definitely fewer opportunities than we've seen historically in in a calendar year, and likewise from a renewable um, M&A perspective, there's been you know fewer opportunities. Um, and from a development perspective, you know we continue to be you know very active from from that perspective, and uh, you know actually frankly see where that'll be a lot of our growth coming from. Uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, the future is from actual development opportunities as opposed to M&A type opportunities, just simply the way the, the market's developing and, and where we're able to create value is on the development side. And as you know, especially on, from a wind perspective or a solar perspective, you know, they're not on the M&A side. Okay, that's great. Thanks for that context. And then maybe just circling back to the the Gen C repowering and CCUS plans. The, you know, the the federal government ran on net zero electricity by 2035. So, you know, if that moves ahead, that implies there most likely will need to be CCUS in place at Gen C for it to run beyond then. And, and you've pointed out that the CCUS initiative at that initiative that um, project needs government support. So, if that support isn't of the magnitude that you're hoping for. Do you see a path to recovering some of those costs in the power market over the long term, given the lack of any real technological alternative to, to gas, you know, absent some revolution in long-term storage or commercialized small nuclear? How are you thinking about the repowering project overall, you know, in a case where the CCUS funding picture doesn't pan out the way you and, and really you know, industry overall in Alberta is, is holding. I mean, the, um, you know, if you take CCUS off the table, you know, the fact of the matter is technology is not here, nor is, um, you know, nor are, are the, the, the policies outside of Alberta here that would uh, make it even possible, technically possible, to eliminate natural gas by 2035. I mean, you've seen the recent work by the, you know, uh, ISO in Ontario that's saying that, you know, being off natural gas by 2030 is, is just not in any way, shape, or form practical. And, you know, they're now being asked to, you know, what, what might it look like? When might, uh, you, you know, you be off natural gas? 
I think you'll find that, you know, that work will show, you know, probably beyond 2035 is, is feasible. In Ontario, where natural gas is, is, is a much smaller component of the overall mix of energy. So in Alberta, just, it's just not practical. And when you see government pronouncements on, you know, being, um, you know, even off coal by 2030, you know, in Canada, through the equivalency agreements, there are exceptions to that. There are going to be coal plants operating in Canada beyond 2030. So, you know, again, um, the, there's a practical element associated with, with any of these pronouncements. And, um, and, you know, there seems to have been good um, discussions, uh, not only in Alberta, but, you know, across Canada in terms of, you know, what's really a practical solution, uh, aggressive solutions, you know, moving forward from a carbon mitigation perspective, but, you know, what makes sense in each province is different. And, and thus far, the federal government has respected that. Again, that's why there's uh, the agreement uh, for the, the, the tier program in Alberta to stand and, you know, continue to be there because it, it meets the federal objectives in a way that is different for Alberta and suits Alberta, just like there are equivalency agreements in most of the other provinces. Okay, thanks very much for all that context. And then just maybe one accounting clarification for, for Sandra on the on the Genesee 2 outage. Um, just as far as the business interruption insurance timing, I know you won't you know, know what the final claim is until that returns to service are you expecting to be able to reflect that figure in your 2021 asfo or is it you know possible that that doesn't get resolved by the by the time you report your q4 results you know our expectation is that we would be able to reflect it from an accounting perspective there has to be reasonable certainty around around the amount and if that's the case then you can accrue you know all of that uh, expected or a portion of it but at this point, we have confirmation from the insurers that it is a, a, a recoverable um, event. So that's the first step. And then the second part of that is just landing on the amount. And the complexity with that is just looking at modeling what your results would have been uh, if there hadn't been an outage and compare that to what you actually achieved. And it does look at it from a portfolio uh, perspective, so not just the loss from the asset, but to the extent other other assets in your portfolio are able to pick up uh, some of that that off, offsetting benefit from having that outage that that comes into play. So it it is a, a difficult modeling exercise, but we've already started that on our side, as has the insurers. So see that progress progressing quite well. So expectation is that when we get to the end of the year, we'll be in a position to to accrue it, um, similar to what we did with the with the property side this quarter. Okay, great. I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Ben Pham with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks. Good morning. I had a couple of follow-up questions. Uh, on on a gas price, uh, you mentioned you you hedged over the near term. I'm wondering, what it, have you change your your gas price assumptions long term when you're modeling Gen 1 and 2 or any other facilities in the province? 
Yeah, so when we're modeling out um, power prices and gas prices, um, we do continually update those as the fundamentals change. So similar to, to other third parties, we do see sustained higher natural gas prices over the next uh, um, year or two before they start to, to come down, but do see that um, it is probably higher than it would have been at the beginning of the year, even when you get out to, to the back end of the plan. But um, it's something we continually re refresh in our modeling. Okay. And were you, were you receiving $2 at one point in time in, in your models? Uh, at one point in time, yes, we, we would have been uh, seeing natural gas in just, just over $2, I think, uh, coming into this year. Yeah. Okay. And you, you, you would say then the, the way you project the gas, you, you tend to lean on, on third parties when, when you're doing that, uh, I would assume? We do look at third party, multiple third party forecasts, as well as coming up with our, our own internal view um, on, on that as well. Yeah. But primarily looking at forwards and other fundamental forecasts from third parties. Okay. Um, and on, on some of the Alberta solar stuff, and I've had a couple of questions from other folks. Uh, I mean, on a project like, like Strathmore, you, you spent a lot of CapEx on it already. Uh, but on something like Enchant, you've you've only spent about six million or so. But you you got the contract for that. I mean, can you can you actually technically walk and shelf that project, or is it pretty much too too late given the contract? Well, you definitely can walk. Uh, there are uh, penalties associated with walking. So um, you know that that uh, and you know even. Even without walking, uh, or even without those penalties, um, it would be a, a tough decision for us to shelf that project. Uh, just simply, as I said, you know, it's still, you know, it's it's still above our whack. Um, it's, uh, you know, it could be delayed. You could do other things to to, to mitigate some of the uh, cost exposure, but. Um, no, um, it's it's still in in our mind uh, remains a, a viable project. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Andrew Kuski with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning. I I, I guess the question really focuses on you know, the power market in Alberta, and I've been we're coming up on 11 months since we've had the new market structure. Could you give us some color on just how the dialogues have changed with counterparties sort of existing and then perspective on just their understanding of the market, maybe the things you were telling them a year ago, which they were not so sure about what has been the, the flavor from customers and just the, the willingness to lock in the contracts on a longer term basis within the province or you know, to, to take more spot exposure. So it's a, Andrew, it's a very interesting dynamic, and, and the reason why it's a, it's an interesting dynamic is when you look at parties who have been in Alberta for a long time, um, really the 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 what's new ha, ha, isn't what's going on today. This takes us back to the power market that existed, you know, before 2014, you know, into 2015. So. Um, People who, again, were comfortable hedging out positions and so on and so forth, 
and you know looking at you know supply demand balance in the future and, and anticipating where, where power prices are going um, this is this is sort of back to normal as opposed to you know the last few years so those people you know continue to look at um, hedging they continue to, to, to look at you know the, um, the the forward market but as well you know, again their views as you know supply demand as as I think you know, everyone knows there's significant supply that's going to be coming into the market, you know, in mid part of this decade. And so again, you know, looking forward, they come up with their own expectations. You know, new people in the market, people who are you know are are just recently looking for power supply in Alberta. You know, I would say they're still you know continue to be fairly hesitant, uh, seeing you know higher, higher power prices. And you know, particularly in in light of you know more recent quite quite a bit lower power prices, and trying to sort out a little bit more of what's going on. But those people who are experienced, um, again, do uh, do do recognize this as a as a relatively simple market based on you know supply and demand uh, uh, economics uh, plus you know inputs such as things like uh, natural gas price. And um, you know, increasing carbon tax. Okay, thank you for that. And, and then maybe just on the carbon tax and really the credits market in, in general, and any insights you have or market flavor by jurisdiction would be appreciated. But just the the desire for certain customers or even yourselves to effectively buy credits in the market or you know, effectively engage in activities that are going to give you more offsets versus paying carbon taxes outright. And I know it gets very technical on all of this, but any flavor you can provide would be helpful. You know, if you went back, you know, a, a couple of years, in, in talking about Alberta, you know, in particular, you know, there was a very active market. Um, a lot of trading taking place, a lot of projects um, and developers who were looking for People to support, you know, longer-term, you know, carbon sales contracts. Um, a lot of that has slowed down significantly, uh, just simply because there is a, a little bit more uncertainty, um, and there ends up being, you know, uh, if you take the, the poster price of carbon today versus what the market price is, you know, there tends to be, a, you know, a discount that ranges from, you know, 10% to 25%, depending on you know, uh, when trades may have taken place. So, you know, there's a, there's the, the market is, I would say a, a little bit more uncertain now. And, and again, because of that, we're seeing a uh, little less activity in terms of people developing, uh, carbon credits, uh, but also in terms of people, you know, willing to, to necessarily buy them because they aren't at, you know, nobody today is going to pay, you know, $120 for a, a carbon credit, you know, out a couple of years. It just, that's just not, you know, sort of in, in, in uh, where, where people are, are feeling comfortable in terms of, uh, of paying for carbon credit. So, again, there's discounts in the market, and as time gets moves on, you know, and, and uh, higher prices are being realized, um, I think you'll start seeing, you know, the, the market coming back and more and more activities associated with trying to find ways uh, to produce carbon credits and, and capitalize on them. Okay. Thank you. That's very helpful. Once again, if you have a question, 
please press star, then 1. The next question comes from Naji Beydoun with IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. I uh, just wanted to go back to a couple of points, uh, starting with the drip. Um, I, I guess if you can give us just a bit more color on why it made sense to, to suspend it not long after it was turned on. I, I guess the question is, is this really a reflection of a slowing development maybe relative to, to what you were able to source last year, or is it more that you expect maybe asset sales or, or other financing options to fill uh, future funding needs? Yeah, thanks for that. If you go back to when we turned the drip on in, in uh, the, the middle of 2020, at that point in time, uh, we still weren't seeing the forward prices that we're seeing today. We were um, moving forward with a number of renewable projects as well as repowering. So certainly wanted to be in a position where we were raising equity in advance of, um, of that spend in order to maintain our, our credit metrics. So when you're looking at our FFO to debt with S&P, for example, there is a 17% threshold. Um, there, there is a requirement to, to achieve that, even if you are in a period of prolonged construction like repowering. You know, historically, you may have seen uh, a look-through period when you're in construction where they would allow you to go below your threshold um, and take a, a view as to what the impact of the construction would be. And that certainly is not not the case that they look for. So we knew that maintaining our credit metrics was, was very important as we embarked on, on that construction. So um, when you were uh, coming through the middle of last year, still looking at power prices in Alberta for 2022 and 23 that are well below where we are today, uh, it was prudent for us to uh, include the drip um, to, to build up that, that equity. And, and, you know, we had discussed how else we would fund the equity side of those projects and, and opted to do an offering. And um, at the point that the drip is turned off, it'll raise approximately $80 million of, of funding as well with the $288 million offering. That's, that's in the range of the amount of equity we felt that we needed. And with um, uh, cash flows and internally generated cash being much stronger than, than anticipated, uh, we just don't have the need. Our current FFO to debt is, is well above uh, 20%, so we're maintaining a lot of cushion. Um, so at this point, don't need any more, more equity for, for the growth that we have and, and even have enough balance sheet strength that if we did do uh, incremental uh, funding, not seeing that, that we would need to access equity to be able to do that. So keeping the drip on was, was just being dilutive. Um, uh, at this point, so uh, there was just just no reason to turn it on. It um, has nothing to do with with uh, plans on asset sales or, or anything else. It's it's more the internally generated cash flow that's so strong that uh, that um, takes away the need for us to maintain the drip. Okay, got it. That's that's great detail. Thank you, Sandra. And and um, maybe just going back to island generation for uh, for a minute. I, I know Brian, you said. Uh, BC Hydro is not looking to build new capacity, but let's say the recontracting uh, discussions don't really go the way you want them to, or, or even if it's you know only a, a shorter term contract. Have you had any discussions with them about installing new uh, uh, generation capacity sooner to replace uh, island generation? So there, 
you, you know, the uh, the IRP is very clear that they're not looking at installing, you know, whether it be batteries, whether it be, you know, and, and by the way, battery technology obviously can't replace uh, the capability of island generation to, to run for six months. You can't possibly do that with a with a battery, so no, their their plans are to just uh, um, remove island uh, capacity. I mean, they have some hopes around uh, reduced demand in in the province, reduce or well across the province, but but uh, you know conservation efforts on Vancouver Island. But on the other hand, they've got great expectations around electrification of vehicles and other things. So um, you know. Um, don't see the demand on Vancouver Island going down yet. Um, the the capacity that they needed historically, they are willing to abandon, uh, abandon. And that's why I'm suggesting that, you know, in their detailed modeling, which hasn't seen the light of day yet, they are, uh, we would expect, they fully are expecting to have, you know, increased uh, outages on, on Vancouver Island when there are, you know, uh, constraints or problems on a transmission system and periods of high heat or you know extreme cold or you know dry years from a, from a hydro perspective all create strains on Vancouver Island I mean we do, we just don't get it we just don't out and out don't understand how you'd be planning for uh, for a uh, uh, significant increase in outages uh, but in any event, and, and there isn't, they, there's no indicated path in any way, shape, or form to uh, to uh, to uh, replace island generation until 2020 uh, until 2033. Okay, understood. I mean, it sounds like uh, something has to give uh, at some point, one way or another. So we'll, we'll wait for more details on that uh, in the next few months. Thanks. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Randy Ma for any closing remarks. Okay, if there are no more questions, we'll conclude our conference call. Thank you again for joining us today and for your interest in Capital Power. Have a good day, everyone. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.